0: Listening to the Warrior Priest
1: Podcast. And we are back a little late this week. Uh, Bill and I, well, first of all, this is the Warrior Priest Podcast. Uh, episode, whatever episode this is, this is actually <laughs> uh, well, probably a one-shot. And then we'll be diving probably deeper into Musashi as we go. But we're going to cover Miyamoto Musashi today, the way of walking alone.
0: Oh, uh, dokodo.
1: There we go. And uh, yet, yeah, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday morning instead of a Sunday afternoon because Bill and I have daughters. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that on our usually recording times, my daughter had her two-year birthday. My second daughter had her two-year birthday. And Bill's daughter had, had a, a moment. Had <laughs> a Had a moment. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. to paraphrase Louis C.K., uh, boys, they'll wreck stuff. But girls, they'll reach inside of you and mess with your soul. And so when my boys act up, it's pretty easy to distract and redirect and figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. when even my two year old is aware that there's something happening that's about her. And therefore, we all need to pay attention to her. And I'm sure, Bill, your daughter's 13. Uh, One is no
0: one is 12. The other is 11.
1: Okay, yeah, my daughter just turned 13 in October, so we're they're very similar in ages. And as, as anybody who has a daughter on the edge or in puberty knows, it can be rough. I'm just oh, going to tell angst. you right now. It can be angsty. It can be rough. Mm. And, <laughs> and as prepared as you are as a parent to talk to that situation, there are just times where no matter what comes out of your mouth, it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And so we had to kind of shutter the podcast (laughs) until our schedules allowed it. So we're here, and we're going to dive into Miyamoto Musashi, like I said. And this was actually, if I'm not incorrect, Bill, uh, written towards the end of his life, right? Yeah, a week before he died. There we go. As the story goes. And he was a pacifist at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the man who, cl- the we as history and legend claims, never lost a fight, never lost a sword battle, a duel. Um, by the way, as an aside, I did some more rearranging because we had to get my two-year-old out of our bedroom and into her own bed. Um, <laughs> or into her own bedroom. She sleeps on her own bed. She doesn't sleep with us at two years old. But we're like, my wife's like, I need sleep. So we moved her out. So I move, sorry, moved some stuff into our, our bedroom. So now it's more of my man cave but there's this movie called The Duelists and it's set during the Prussian War actually and it's about two men who meet periodically throughout their military career and they duel because this was very popular at that time. And it's a wonderful, it stars Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine and it's a fantastic movie. It's actually available on Blu-ray on Amazon for relatively cheaply, but The Duelists, it's a great movie about actually a lot of stuff that we talked about on this show, but I digress. So Musashi, who legend claims never lost a sword battle, a dual, um, later in life and in retirement, probably, um, you know, put up his swords and, and meditated on the way of pacifism, of peace. Mm -hmm. And so you have, I think, a very interesting then juxtaposition, a man who is very familiar with violence and bloodshed, and yet also a man then who through violence and bloodshed comes to the conclusion, I need to hang my swords up. Mm hmm It's, it's... Yeah, it, it, there's, in the in the French, there's something called ennui. Uh, or in tantric Buddhism, it's there's a similar philosophy of you do something to excess and then you actually grow bored with it. You're tired of it and you quit doing it. And so in the case of ennui, if you want to quit drinking, you drink to excess until you just get sick and tired of being drunk. Night after night after night. In tantric Buddhism, it's very similar. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again until... You basically achieve enlightenment and transcend the physical needs or the the emotional and mental needs of the body, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so here, though, we're going to dive into the way of walking alone this morning for you and just kind of meditate on, well, a week before he dies, um, what was on his mind and what he was meditating on. And so these are mm-hmm. 21, what do you want to call them? Meditations? Statements?
0: Uh. I- Yeah, um, probably meditations uh, of a man on his deathbed.
1: Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, Yeah, that's a better way to put it. So let's just dive in. Number one of the way of walking alone. Number one, accept everything just the way it is. Mm. Hmm. And I actually, uh, just diving into this, why is this called the way of walking alone? Right. We all die alone. We all die alone. And I've been meditating on this. I have a competition coming up in two days again. And we've talked about it. And maybe we'll do another BJJ, BJJ debrief number two uh, Sunday is, uh, when we record this. But one thing that happens as a consequence of training and fighting is that you're changed by it in a way that, unless you do it, you can't understand it. And it's just that simple. And that's why I'm not really a proselyte for combat martial arts, for example. And most people that I know don't really like talking about it. They don't want to talk about it, actually. Uh, Because they're uncomfortable with it because they don't understand it and they don't see it as normal. And I was talking with my friend uh, that I gave a ride home after practice last night. It's not normal to want to punch and kick each other and choke each other and joint lock each other. It's not normal. (laughs) It's just not. And that's because at the root of, well, in my experience anyways, and just speaking for myself, most of the people that I train with who are very serious about this at the competitive level, they're doing it because they're in pain and they're afraid of something. Mm-hmm. And I know that's for myself. That's why I started. And to this day, that's why, like right now, it is so difficult to focus on just the moment to moment tasks in my life, in my vocation. Because all I want to think about in, in role play is all of the possibilities of what can happen on Saturday. And so that's why, leading into this, I think the way of walking alone, in a certain sense, is that when you choose the warrior's path, the warrior ethos, you will find yourself further and further removed from quote unquote normal society. And I think this is especially the case with Musashi, and maybe we'll dive into a very good biography of Musashi at some point, that he is not like other people. He's not even like other warriors.
0: No, I mean, he fought his first duel when he was 13 and killed a man.
1: Right. With (laughs) a wooden sword. (laughs) With a wooden sword. Yeah. (laughs) Boken. Yeah and i think that's the thing that we have to take into consideration there are people and i would say that most of the people i train with are bo- are different and i think there's people that are just born different not better not worse than anybody else they're just they they see the world different and they express themselves differently and i've always been one of those people and i've known this since i was in kindergarten that i would say things or i would do things or i would laugh at things that everybody else uh, in my peer group they weren't thinking those things and they weren't laughing and they weren't experiencing the world the same way I was. And when you're little, you can't process it. And then when you get into high school and college there, you just assume there's something wrong with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as you become an adult and it doesn't go away, maybe you start to really chew on that and, and ask yourself the tough question. Why does it seem like I'm just wired different than everybody else? Again, not in a bad way, not in a good way, just, different. You just see everything differently. And I think for those who have chosen this path, the warrior's path, then you have to contemplate and you have to basically say, you you have to grapple with this. Is that you're going to walk alone. And (coughs) excuse me, I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, but you meet fewer and fewer people along the way as you do this. Mm. Because Some people fight once and that's good. They found out all they needed to know about themselves and combat. One, I'm good. I know guys that I train with who are the best and they've competed once or twice and then they just don't have it in them to compete anymore. And then there's others that are just driven to compete every three months. They just love it. They live for the competition. And again, if you're there and you're in that zone, you're on that path, you can sympathize, you can empathize, you can kind of understand where they're coming from and their motivations. But still at the root of that is you're different and you're changed by this experience. In Musashi's case, fighting uh, de- you know, matters of literally life and death. Mm-hmm. And think about it too. At a certain point, people are coming and looking for him to fight him. Yep. What's the name? There's a famous Old West movie with Henry Fonda. It's an Italian uh, spaghetti Western. Uh, I think it's called My Name is Nobody. And Henry Fonda is the fastest draw in the West, and but he 's old, and so he 's trying to get out basically. This is uh, mm-hmm. John Wayne, the shootest too John Wayne 's last movie, actually the shootest, with Ron Howard. A lot of movies like this that you know he 's the fastest draw in the west, he 's the baddest of the bad, and after years and years of fighting, they just want to be left alone. Mm because they know what's going to happen. They're dulled by age. They're not as quick as they used to be. They've lost that edge. They're not mean and nasty. Go watch The Unforgiven, for example, right? Classic Mm -hmm. example in The Unforgiven is that Clint Eastwood's sober, gets married, has kids, becomes a farmer, and he just, he can't even shoot straight anymore. And so in order to go and and do what he does within the the movie, he's got to get drunk. (laughs) He's got to fall off the wagon just to be that guy again, to be that monster. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, so, of course, in all these movies, the end is usually the same, (laughs) is that the young up-and-comer comes to challenge them, and the old dog knows, this is the guy that's got my number. I know it, I can see it. So what am I, I see this in fighting all the time. You know, fighters get past their prime, and then the, the, the kids that train their whole life to actually fight that guy, that's all they've done their whole life, is train to fight that guy. And so the old fighter gets beat, You know, gets beat at his own game, so to speak. Pat
0: Garrett to your Billy the Kid. Exactly,
1: yeah. And so I think that's a part of it, too, is as you get older, you start asking yourself these tough questions because when you're young, you believe that you're invincible, invulnerable, and bulletproof, and always right. (laughs) (laughs) And then as you get older and you get a little bit slower, get a little bit more experience, maybe a little bit too much blood on your hands, you start asking the tough questions. This is why even old generals with a lot of combat experience are the last people to say let's pull the trigger and go to go to war. Cuz they know the consequence. They know the cost. Mm. They're not afraid to go to war. They're not afraid to fight, but they're also not quick to do it. Yep. And so thus number 1 accept everything just the way it is. We could probably just spend an entire podcast on that first one. Oh yeah. How, oh, yeah. how difficult to near impossible is it to accept everything just the way it is? Mm-hmm. Marcus Aurelius talks about this in the meditations, that yep. you have to consider your own will and how you perceive uh, this, this thing, what it represents to you, for example. You have to ask yourself, what does this person and what they've just done or said to me, or what does this thing represent to me versus what is it in truth? How did I take what she said versus the reality of what she said? Mm -hmm. Then I have to understand my actions. uh, Like, okay, I've made up my mind about how I perceive this, what she just said or what she just did. Now I'm going to act in reaction to what she just said or did. And basically what I decide, you know, intellectually, mentally, is going to determine my action. And that will drive my desire, good or bad. So if I can separate my perception from the reality of the thing and therefore act with the right intent, with good intent, then hopefully my desired outcome, the desired outcome that I have for this, this relationship, this situation, this circumstance, will be good. Mm-hmm. But really for Marcus then, the, the great struggle in, in day-to-day life is to be in the moment, present tense and to be able to see things for what they are, not for what I want them to represent to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And learning to distinguish the difference between those things which are outside of you, yes, which you cannot control and therefore right. must accept, Right. and those things which are within your control, and therefore it is your duty to yeah. steward, improve, right. uh, what have you.
1: Right. Well, and this goes back to my earlier point is that especially the weeks leading up to a fight, especially the week of the fight or fights, I will role-play in my head all the possibilities I can imagine for not only myself but my opponents when I have no idea whatsoever what my opponents are going to do or even what I'm going to do in reaction to my opponents. Mm -hmm. So the big struggle then is to get out of my own head and accept that I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I might have a game plan that blows up the first three seconds of the first match. Mm-hmm. I have to just accept this is the way it is. You train, you condition, you get your mind right, you show up ready to compete at as good as you can. And then you have to accept that maybe your best today isn't good enough. They were just better. Yep. And thus, win or lose you have to accept this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're a loser because you lost. It's not because you're a winner just because you got a medal hung around your neck. What just happened? And consider all of the things that had to happen simultaneously for, for you to win or lose that are completely out of your control, like you said. Yep. The only thing in my control is my intent. And my intent is to compete to the best of my abilities as they are today. Tomorrow, I'll be better than the person I was today. And I'll be changed by this person that I just fought against in ways that I can't imagine. Therefore, why are you trying to imagine all the different ways that this is going to turn out? You Mm -hmm. can't control the outcome. All you can control is your intent. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So learn to accept everything just the way it is, regardless of whether you perceive it to be good or bad.
0: Well, and this speaks also to his third point, do not, under any circumstances, depend on a partial feeling. 100%. And we can extend that to a partial thought, a partial plan, a partial...
1: Right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) accept everything just the way it is. Then number two, do not seek pleasure for its own sake, which Mm -hmm. should be kind of self-explanatory. Pleasure for its own sake... Is hedonism. Well, it is hedonism, Epicureanism. It's also a complete utter waste of your time and energy yeah. because it's the it's the five minutes of mouth pleasure you get from eating that whole bag of Doritos, for example. Yep. Yep. And so was it pleasing? A hundred percent. Is it bad for you? One hundred percent. And and this goes then to the point of number like you said, number three, do not under any circumstances depend on a partial feeling. Yeah. When something gives me pleasure have I really thought through in completely and entirely why it gives me pleasure? Because like I said, going back again, if the reason that you can fight is because you're trying to work out some pain, whether it's pain from childhood, pain from something that happened in your twenties or thirties, pain of, of some, you know, failed relationships or failed expectations or failed whatever it might be, or just fear the fear of not being able to defend yourself, fear of not being able to protect your family, just fear in general. That's a feeling. And that's that's an impulse. But have you really thought through why? Like, why is that pain or that fear driving you to this avenue of expression, this martial art, for example? And then have you really thought through those feelings so that, again, what ends up happening sometimes is someone who comes in who just wants to prove something to themselves and prove that to themselves by beating you up, for example, or submitting you. And it's like, well, I just submitted a higher belt. So that means I'm, you know, awesome in my own mind now because I'm, I'm good. Why do you need that affirmation? Why do you need that kind of affirmation to make you feel good about yourself or make yourself feel like a winner or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is driving that? What is the intent behind that motive? And if you haven't thought through it, what you're running around with is just a gut full of feelings. And they're not even fully realized feelings. That's the point. They're partial because you haven't really thought them through. Why do I feel this way? Why am I acting on my feelings in this way? Why do I desire these outcomes when I haven't even thought it through this stuff yet? Who is it that said the unexamined life isn't worth living? (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not sure. Was it Aristotle or Socrates? I'm having a brain part. I can't. You talk and all of of I'll, I'll Google it. I'm, I'm oh, am not it is. Sure. Socrates. Of course it's Socrates.
0: <laughs> it's Socrates. So in other words, Plato.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Socrates was real, man. <laughs> Stop being mean. What? <laughs> But think of this, just these first three. Accept everything just the way it is. Why? Well, number one, do not seek pleasure for its own sake. Well, part of accepting everything just the way it is, is not allowing your perception of something, whether it pleases or displeases you, to blind you to the reality of the situation. Precisely. maybe I don't like Bill. Maybe Bill makes me angry and makes me want to punch him in the face. He's just got some negative energy. But maybe the person next to me, yeah, I have that effect on people. (laughs) I, I, yeah, I elicit strong emotions from people. But maybe my best friend tells me, "Bill's the best guy I've ever met. You got to get to know this guy." Well, how can one person say, "Best guy I've ever met"? You got to know this guy. And my initial impression is, I don't like this guy. Mm. Well, because I'm old and I have experience, usually people that I meet that I dislike, especially strongly when I first meet them, are because we're very similar in personality. Yeah. And so I've actually come home, and my wife can tell you this, I've come home and ranted about people I've met, and then a year later, we're the best of friends. (laughs) And it's like, we have so much in common. It's like, that's why you don't like him. (laughs) Mm. Because he reminds you of yourself, and he's also a mirror held up in your face that show you the worst parts of yourself, too. Yep. Yep oh, you don't like people that name drop or you don't like people that always talk about themselves or, oh, you don't like people that go on and on and on about that thing that they love that you don't. Welcome to my everyday life, husband. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you really like to play Halo on the Xbox One X? You know who doesn't? This woman. (laughs) (laughs) All right? It's like, why are you treating me like a child? Uh, (laughs) Because you're talking about your favorite video game and I'm trying to pay bills.
0: (laughs) She's just mad she got teabagged the last time you ran (laughs) right exactly
1: that's right (laughs) so thus don't don't seek pleasure for its own sake because pleasure is a half realized feeling it's a it's a feeling pleasure is but it's driven by maybe half baked thoughts or maybe Mm -hmm. you haven't thought about it at all and maybe that thing that pleases you is good maybe it is good but have you really thought it through and have you considered what it's doing to you positively negatively how it affects your relationships how it affects you in relation to yourself. Again, there's lots of things that give me mouth pleasure as far as food and drink. However, they're not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I have a choice, really. This is what this represents to me, happiness. (laughs) But this is the reality of it. This is just processed, this is just garbage. It's just garbage. And yeah, if you eat this right now, you are going to go to bed super happy. And then tomorrow when you train and your cardio is crap, (laughs) you're going to be like, I shouldn't have done that last night. (laughs) It's like, how many times do you have to say that to yourself? It's like friends that I train with who (laughs) they'll show up Saturday morning. They're like, oh, I got so drunk last night. This is going to be a rough one. I'm like, do you know how many times you've said that to me on a Saturday morning? (laughs) Like, At a certain point, as an adult, don't you just go, hey, maybe if I'm going to train Saturday morning, I don't get drunk Friday night. Maybe, you know, maybe do it Saturday night. You know? (laughs) But four, think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. There it is. Ouch. Stop taking yourself so damn serious. Mm -hmm. Again, to quote the Joker, why so serious? Think deeply, though, of the world.
0: In other words, be a philosopher.
1: Be a philosopher, exactly. Embody your philosophy. Literally, body that Mm -hmm. philosophy. But also consider the fact that you are not the center of the universe and the world does not revolve around you. Mm -hmm. As I think Epictetus probably said it first and he probably got it from Zeno or Chrysippus or somebody. We are all essentially dust particles floating in infinity because yesterday stretches backwards beyond our imagination and the future, what lays in front of us stretches out in front of us into infinity. That's what infinity is. Infinity is just look up at night that's infinity it just goes on and on and on and on and on but likewise if infinity or eternity is just yesterday goes backwards basically forever and goes forwards basically forever because you're me we're all just human beings we're here for a blink of an eye less than a blink of an eye Mm. and therefore you know you haven't thought anything or said anything or done anything that somebody else hasn't already thought said and done to in fact millions of people, billions of people have done and thought and said what you've done, thought and said. So you're not God's little snowflake (laughs) and the world, you're not the sun. The world doesn't, doesn't revolve around you. And by the way, thinking that way blinds you to just how much there is to take in of the world. Wisdom, knowledge, love, kindness, just the amazingness of creation. Yeah. You know, how often do we even look up at the sky anymore and consider that, consider infinity? How how often anymore do we even talk about metaphysics and truth and love and good and evil and these big, big concepts, big ideas? How how often do we even consider these things? How often do we even consider the world then? Mm and our our place in the world versus the world in relation to where I'm at right now. Well, and that <clears throat> is one of the difficulties then with modern
0: life. As nice as it is to live in a time when we have, you know, penicillin mm-hmm. and internet yep. and so forth. Right. Usually, I find that if I have free time, I'm too busy binge-watching TV to right? <laughs> consider my place <laughs> in the world.
1: Um. Well, I think, you know, an example that I think of right off the top of my head is when I was a missionary in Mexico, something that was told to me very early on by a Mexican was that Americans take 10 feet of America with them wherever they go. And I was like, yeah, whatever, okay, sure. Then I was in Guadalajara, maybe I've told the story before, but I was in Guadalajara right after Annie and I got married, and we were standing in the central square, Grand Central, and mass had just let out at the cathedral. So there are thousands of people in this space, and there's uh, a mariachi band in the gazebo playing, so it's, it's loud, right? There's street vendors, and it's fantastic. And yet, in a crowd of thousands, with a mariachi band playing in a gazebo, mic'd up, I can still tell you where all the Americans were in that crowd Yeah, because they're the loudest (laughs) and they're the most boisterous and they literally take 10 square feet of their country with them wherever they go. I had a friend, he was a waiter at his family's restaurant and he used to tell me this all the time and I didn't believe it until I saw it. Americans would come in and say, I want a chimichanga and he'd say, that's not a Mexican food. That's Tex-Mex. It's not Mexican. We don't serve that here. Well, at my Mexican restaurant back home, That's all Mm. we ever get are chimichangas. And if you can't make me a chimichanga, we're just going to have to go find somewhere else to eat. You're not seeing the world, my friend. Mm. All you're seeing is yourself and your own desires and what gives you pleasure. And so because of that, you don't recognize, one, you're being very condescending and insulting to this young boy. Two, you're insulting all these people (laughs) by telling them what is and isn't Mexican food. When you're in Mexico, And ultimately, you're taking yourself way too seriously. And so like I was told then right away by another missionary, you can either ingratiate yourself in the Mexican culture or you can stay here in camp all the time and hang out with Americans and Canadians. You'll have a great time, but you'll never be a part of the community. And so, you know, me being me, of course, I had to accept the challenge. And so I just started hanging out with all the Mexicans and taught music and choir to the Mexican kids at the orphanage became a part of a doctor's family there and they kind of adopted me and gave me their last name and taught me Spanish and taught me the culture and everything and traditions and norms. And so to this day, they're still my family. And the point is when I got there, I was essentially as helpless as a baby. Didn't understand the culture, didn't speak the language, didn't know anything. So I just kind of threw myself at the mercy of these people. And because I did that, Literally humbling myself and saying, "I not only am I of no importance, but I am basically a baby." They literally took pity on me and took me in, literally, and fed me, and gave me clothing, and taught me their language, and taught me their traditions and everything. And that's you know why my kids to this day we went through we went through three hundred tortillas in the last month <laughs> because breakfast, lunch, and dinner all my kids want are tacos, so corn tortillas, breakfast, lunch, and dinner just. The Dita in the town over, the Mexicans are like, what are you people doing with all these tortillas? <laughs> but that's what I mean is that because I was basically forced to take myself lightly in that situation and think deeply about the world that I had just been plunged into, it, to this day then, that was 1996, 1997, to this day then it still affects me. And I'm still in relation to those people and I still keep track of those people on social media and visit with those people when I'm on the West Coast. And those people broadened my perspective of the world. Like, I see the world differently because of that. And so, as I tell people, I'm very prejudiced. I'm a, I'm a huge racist. I, I don't like white people. <laughs> I love Mexicans. I just do. That's why my kids go to a bilingual school. But the point is, because I've seen a bigger part of the world in, in Mexico and Guatemala, I don't see the world in the same way that I did before I went there. And it changed me for good, bad, indifferent, whatever it might be. But to the point then, yeah, think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. And you may just be changed in a very positive way and and make relationships with people that you would never in a thousand years have ever imagined were even possible. And you may pick up wisdom along the way or knowledge along the way that will change you and make you into a person that then you can look back 10 years, 20 years, even maybe a year and say, you know what? I kind of like the person I've become. And it's because of these people or it's because of these books or it's because of these podcasts or whatever it is that you're exposed to, it broadens your view of the world. And maybe there's more to life than just dueling and the fight, right? So then five, be detached from desire your whole life long. Very zen, <laughs> right? I'm just thinking, like yeah, this is easy for you to write a week before you die. <laughs> mm-hmm. I gotta live with this stuff now. Yeah, be detached from desire your whole life long, which runs along the lines of don't seek pleasure for its own sake.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we'd understand that more in a Western context by saying be detached from your passions.
1: Yeah, your cravings. Yeah, I always I always translate that as as craving. That is, what do you crave? Right, in, not just in the sense of I really, really could go for a caramel shake from Sonic, uh, which goes back to one of those mouth pleasure things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all, that's the you know that's the big joke of the gym is like what what's the what's Donovan gonna do after he competes win or lose I'm going to Chipotle, <laughs> I'm getting a burrito as big as my arm. That's the real that's the real trophy. <coughs> Why? Because I love Chipotle. I don't know it's a guilty pleasure. I love their chips. Mm-hmm. But you got to eat them right away when they're fresh because when they're not fresh they get. Ugh, they go steal fast. And I'm, I, I just lie to myself and say, because it's so pu- the, It's because it's pure. It's just pure. <laughs> the, the chips are just pure corn. <laughs> real chips. They're real, for sure. Um, <laughs> but think about that. Be detached from desire your whole life long. I mean, that's, you have enough right there to occupy your time every day. Be detached mm. from your desire. Well, what's my desire? Just to have fun when I fight on Saturday. Is it really, though, Donovan? Or are you just saying that to try and convince yourself that that's true? Okay, I'm lying. <laughs> why do we compete? Well, there's a lot of jujitsu memes floating around that, you know, we compete to improve. Yeah, but that gold medal sure makes it a lot better. <laughs> you know? That burrito from Chipotle. Tastes a lot better with a gold medal around your neck, let's be honest. <laughs> but yet, that's the desire, right? That we'll even lie to ourselves mm-hmm. about our own desires and why we desire oh, yeah. that thing. Why do we, why do we crave that, that feeling, that pleasure? Well, it's for this justifiable reason. It's it really it's because I'm. It's like again, I'm in San Diego for a conference last month, and my wife texts me that she got me an Xbox One X. She ordered it, and I was gonna save up for Christmas. And so the joke is because she doesn't want to have any more kids because she's 43 now. I think she's 43, but close. She's around 43 or 44, whatever. Meh. Um, <laughs> close enough. She's like, I don't know, like how do I distract Donovan? I know I'll buy him an Xbox One. <laughs> 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 and the point is then, yes, that that did distract me. And uh, so we made it through the month of October successfully and most of it November with the Master Chief collection in hand. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's why do you desire this thing, right? And of course, that's not the real reason she bought it for me. She bought it for me because she loves me and she knows yep. that I wanted it. And this is, and like I said to her, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm getting too at my age and and what I want out of combat martial arts and training and teaching, I feel like I'm becoming too narrow that it's Mm -hmm. the only thing that occupies my mind outside of ministry. And as, and as Musashi and others will say, you know, if you, if you just become obsessed with one thing, it actually diminishes you as a person. Mm -hmm. And that thing then, like let's say it's sword fighting you will actually become worse as a fighter because you're so narrowly focused on sword fighting that you're not reading poetry, you're not studying philosophy, you're not engaged in relationships with people and eating food that's, that is pleasure, you know, pl- pleasing to you, right? Mm-hmm. In a way that, that broadens your palate, broadens your perspective, again, seeing the world deeply so that then when you come to that discipline that you've devoted yourself to, let's say being a martial artist then, now creativity and discipline And even the science of it can kind of co-exist and marinate in in a way that makes you better at it. Mm. And so for me, I just need something to detach from the grind. And it's that. It's just going back and playing Halo and just getting lost in, I love the music of Halo and I love the level design and blah, 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 blah. But (laughs) I just love it, right? And does it serve any greater good? No, it actually doesn't. However... I could argue that because it allows me to detach for an hour or so when I stop playing I'm now reinvigorated to go out and get after it mm-hmm. because I've had that time of I'm not going to spend every moment reading Musashi or Marcus Aurelius because I feel like it's going to cause me to stagnate just like training every single day at 100% is going to really limit the the length of time that you can actually train because of injury, and there's just a law of diminishing returns at a certain point. hmm
0: Yep. Well, and that is, in this case, entertainment properly utilized. Right, right. Um, in and of itself, that is a discipline.
1: Yeah, so, yeah.
0: To kind of uh, dredge up the point of binge-watching. Yeah. That is not a discipline, that is going beyond the limits of what is helpful,
1: right? right.
0: Um, and we all tend to drift to and from these types of things, mm-hmm. but discipline is that middle point, if you will, in neither in neither the ditch, if right. you will, of asceticism mm-hmm. that is cutting yourself off from anything anything and everything right uh, you know training nothing but jujitsu seven days a week or whatever it is Mm
1: -hmm. and overindulging right Um, would that be the middle way
0: (laughs) we haven't gotten to book of five rings yet
1: okay sorry spoiler (laughs) alert (laughs) yep (laughs) But maybe, that, and that feeds into the yep. next point. Then, don't mm-hmm. regret what you've done. Do not regret what you have done. Point six. Yeah.
0: In other words, don't get lost yeah. in your own
1: headspace, just right. spinning this stuff. Right. Well, and you, you know. can't go backwards, anyways. Mm-hmm, Yeah. So, what do you regret? And and as I had to learn much later in life, beating myself up about the stuff that I did when I was a teenager or in my early twenties, I'm counterproductive. Judging, it is counterproductive because I'm also judging myself through 48-year-old eyes or 45-year-old eyes as the case may be. And therefore, I'm judging myself not as another 20-year-old would judge myself but as an adult judges myself as a Mm 20-year-old. And the fact of the matter is, when I was 20, I was incredibly stupid (laughs) and made incredibly dumb decisions as 20-year-olds do. But when you're 20, they're the best decisions because it's the best time to be alive And you've got it all. Again, you've got the world. You don't need to look deeply into the world because you know the world. You know the way things are. Oh, yeah. And it's just a matter of time before you get rich or are successful or marry the perfect woman or man or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And therefore, after the fact, yeah, it is easy to look over your shoulder and, and have regrets about whatever may have happened. But the point is, it happened. And so it had to happen that way. And you can't go back and change it. So why are you looking over your shoulder if you're not going that way? Mm-hmm. And again, this is a guy who killed people for a living. Yeah, that was essentially his job. He was a well, master it, executioner. Yeah, those duels were not um, to the to the blood. You know, to the a first boxing cut.
0: match. It, it <clears> throat> was throat> <laughs> it was to the death. Right. Um, and he fought somewhere between like thirty and sixty of them. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. if I'm remembering right. right. I don't right. know. I don't. I don't have uh, the book in front of me. Um, but dude was uh, kind of a big deal in the world of
1: right. Ronan. Huge, obviously huge. Mm. And I'm looking it up right now because I want to know. <laughs> Ooh. He lived from 1604. Well, he was. You know, he claimed to have fought over 60 duels between 1604 and 1613. Wow. He was born in 1584, by the way. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, yes, first fight at 13, and then around, you know, in nine years, he fought 60 duels. Wow. Yeah. He was busy. He had a full dance card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's the thing. And, uh Yeah. Maybe, I guess we're going to spend more than one episode on this (laughs) because we'll (laughs) definitely. Did you really think we would get through it in (laughs) a single sitting? You're so naive, (laughs) Riley. Come on. I mean, we got through six of them. That's not bad. No. I mean, six out of 21. Uh, So do not
0: regret what you have done.
1: Do not regret what you have done. That's right, (laughs) (coughs) sir. Nor you, dear listener. (laughs) That's right. Do not regret what you have done. And so, well, yeah, I think that's a great place to stop because then the next thought is never be jealous and then it kind of leads into that. Mm -hmm. So accept everything just the way it is. Do not seek pleasure for its own sake. Do not, under any circumstances, depend on a partial feeling. Think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. Be detached from desire your whole life long and do not regret what you have done. So there's six lifetimes worth of stuff to think about. (laughs) <laughs> and put into mm-hmm. practice. And I think that's the key point maybe to end on that is I, I do not believe that he intended for these things to be quote-unquote just done. Like, here, go do this stuff.
0: No. Um, no, he he makes the point in his book that these are all lifetime practices. Yes, exactly. In the case of the book uh, Martial Arts. So I would imagine with these it's kind of the same
1: yeah well and to steal uh an image from aristotle actually you know don't plant an an acorn in the ground and then get up the next morning and be a a, you know upset that it isn't 100 feet tall Mm -hmm. is that an acorn must grow over time and, and there's a lot that has to happen for it to grow into a mighty oak Likewise, when you read these things, that's the point is to put them into daily practice and to meditate on them daily and wrestle with them and struggle with them daily. And it's actually the wrestling and struggling with these that will then actually change you, hopefully. And day by day, you can meditate on, okay, did I accept everything just the way it is today? And if I didn't, why, Mm -hmm. right? And then why do I regret this decision or why do I regret this action or why do I regret this relationship when it happened, and I can yep. learn from it, or I can regret it and learn nothing from it. Yeah. So you can if do possible this. make amends and move on. Exactly right. And yeah. so yeah, don't read these as like okay, easy for him to say. No, they're not. He writes this at the end of his life. These were not. Mm-hmm. He had to live a bloody life to get to the point that he could write these down and say, "Here yep. is a summary of all my experience and knowledge and wisdom." Here's a summary. Twenty one points. Which is so very Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Miyamoto Masashi, for that.
0: Mm-hmm. You got anything else? I don't. I didn't prepare a haiku. Oh, next time. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Uh, let me think. Yeah,
1: no. He said it. He said. I what got he nothing. Said. All right. <laughs> So we'll wrap it up here. I think the next episode we're probably going to do another debrief. We'll talk about Bill's journey and uh, what happened as a consequence of of the competition for me Mm -hmm. and uh, play it out, run it it out, so to speak, and see how it comes. But, uh, yeah, definitely also I'll just give a recommendation, Why We Fight on ESPN Plus, second season hosted by Kat Zingano. It's a really, really great series. Even if you're not a fighter, Why We Fight looks not just at different people women and men and why they fight but also the thoughts the feelings the intent and motive the philosophy of each person that really drives them to do what they do it's a fantastic series called Why We Fight and each episode is like 20 minutes nice and so yeah if you, if you have a chance look it up online maybe there's clips on YouTube you can go watch but uh, or you can just go to Kat Zingano's Instagram page and watch clips there as well but really helpful for me anyways it was really helpful stuff so Definitely recommend that. And the Duelists, and the Shootist, and the man who is nobody. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Otherwise, we'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your time and attention. Peace. Peace.